May grace and peace be multiplied to each of you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Dear friends in Christ, a continued Merry Christmas to you today because it's day four of the 12 days of Christmas. It's just begun. It is a full season with great joy today. The text for our meditation on this, the first Sunday after Christmas, the first Sunday in Christmas, comes to us from our gospel lesson, which we just heard a few moments ago. This reading from St. Luke's epic second chapter, verses 22 through 40, might be familiar as the traditional gospel that we hear on another day, usually on February 2nd. It's not just Groundhog's Day. That is also the dual observance of both the presentation of our Lord and the purification of Mary. Thus, this reading this morning that we hear might be of use to us in such a way that we associate this account more squarely within the epiphany season. Indeed, this narrative kind of rides the fence, as it were, of being both appropriate for Christmas tide and for epiphany as well. It provides a nice segue between where we've been and where we're going in the church year at this time. As we contemplate this word of our Lord this morning, let us proceed in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, during Bible study last week, Pastor Schaff covered a lot of textual ground regarding the background and setting of the nativity of our Lord Jesus at Christmas time. Some of that it emerged, we found, that we take for granted. One item brought out was the fact that over 2,000 years, the setting of Bethlehem has often been misrepresented despite uh, some efforts to the contrary. Indeed, a lot of how we visualize the events of Christmas Eve is really built upon the images, the tropes, the books, the songs, the plays, and such that the movies and cinema as well provide for us, those images. Was there really no room at the end that night for Joseph and pregnant Mary to lodge in? That was the question that we asked in Bible study, and Pastor answered this question by explaining that in a way of speaking, there really wasn't an inn at all. Mary and Joseph, he explained, probably ended up staying in a multi-purpose room, for lack of a better term, something we can relate to in our day and age. That room would have been on the ground floor, and it would have been part of a building that wasn't really an inn, but probably owned and operated by extended family instead for guests when they would come. He then talked about how the actual original Greek word in the text, kataluma, has been trying to tell us this all along. A cataluma, more appropriately than an end, though it sometimes get rendered as an end in definitions, was indeed a guest room on the second floor, on the upper floor, reserved for guests, not an inn at all. So there was really no room in the cataluma for Joseph and Mary to stay in that night. A detail, and one of those details that often gets missed because of the way that we have cast the story over 2,000 years. Now, dear friends, to be sure, it's not wrong, it's not bad that we've made films, movies, plays about the nativity and the way that we've gone with it some of the time. It's just so often this morning that we don't stick necessarily to the script. As it were, we fail to consult God the Holy Spirit as the divine screenwriter, to acknowledge him as the divine playwright. So, and if and when we do acknowledge the creative genius of the Holy Spirit, indeed, we find a much richer setting and an atmosphere provided for us 
in Scripture. Along the way, we might even start to realize that God's word is more than a mere parchment laid down or on vellum or papyrus, more than just a manuscript. We instead come to the greater understanding that God, the Holy Spirit, moved through and inspired human writers just like a producer with a vision bringing drama to the big screen would, or like a director bringing out those command performances by the actors. Of course, one of the seasons we're getting ready for in the next couple of months is award season, time of uh, the Oscars, Academy Awards, Screen Actors Guild, uh, as well as the Tonys, the Emmys, all those awards that we have. I love this time of year. I enjoy that. That time will soon be upon us. While I love movies and films and plays, I'm an amateur aficionado and not an expert analyst. I do, however, know this much. When a film or a play is good, it engages us fully, body, mind, and soul. If it's crafted well, a movie or a play, if produced, directed, and above all, if the actors deliver those command performances, then we can be transported to another time and another place. On some rare occasions, it might even go to another level. We might even experience the story with such intensity, that storyline to such a degree that we ourselves get drawn into it and become actors in the drama. We could even say actual participants. Along the way, we might even come to understand the deeper meaning of the unfolding drama and how it changes our world. With this in mind, let's consider the scene from our reading this morning. Let's consider the text that is the drama of the presentation of our Lord in the temple. We have a deep and rich background to our scene this morning, dear friends in Christ, and that scene is indeed set for us early produced, written, and directed by the sheer creative genius of our triune God, after all. And our stage is actually set for us long before the events of our scene today. The prophets actually build the set for us for our scene this morning. Certainly our Old Testament reading from Isaiah's 11th chapter that we heard just a moment ago bears that out for us. Likewise, the latter prophet Malachi, who is traditionally the reading from the day of the presentation of our Lord, Malachi expands on the work of Isaiah as well in building this stage for us. In his third chapter, Malachi announces that suddenly after centuries of waiting, the long-expected Lord and Messiah would indeed enter the temple. Malachi describes this arrival, the arrival of the one who would purify the Levites, the priestly castes, the sons of Levi. In the words of a proverb, He will, like the proverb says, refine them like a furnace for gold, like a crucible for silver. And so Isaiah and Malachi, the prophets, centuries before our scene today, get us amped up for the arrival of this Messiah, for possibly a mighty ruler, a leader who will liberate his people. But then our scene this morning for us takes an unexpected and different turn. Sure, we indeed find ourselves in the temple, But this is a different temple than we think. It's a diminished one. It's in the midst, we would say, of a major renovation at this time. And here in the setting is an infant, barely a month old, 40 days old, not a mighty warrior, not a great leader. He is, we are told by the text, brought in for the customary rites of purification by his young mother, Mary. Here she is in poverty, humility, 
and obedience. We behold her and also faithful Joseph, guardian of our Lord, by her side. The Christ child is the center of our scene this morning. Could this humble form contain the Messiah forecasted by Malachi and by Isaiah centuries before? At this time in our scene, another figure enters as well to provide some clarity and more background. His name is Simeon. This is an old man. He's weathered by a life of prayerful expectation. Simeon awaits Israel's redemption, the consolation promised by the prophet Isaiah. While the other devout worshipers of that time share in Simeon's expectations, we are told that it is to him alone at this time and in this place that the Holy Spirit promises that he will not see death until he beholds the Messiah of God who was promised long ago. And so led and driven by the Spirit, Simeon goes to the temple to behold this promised child. And under the Spirit's inspiration, he delivers his lines, his famous ageless words that we continue to remember Sunday after Sunday as we prepare to dismiss our service in the words of the Nuctaminist. Lord, let us now, thy servant, depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the sight of all people. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Using the language from the old KJV that found its way into our TLH and as well into our divine service setting three, which we often use here at Grace. Simeon then pronounces a conundrum to Mary, Jesus' mother. He says that Jesus is both a shining light to enlighten the Gentiles, but also he will be a source of strife, of contradiction to those who will misunderstand his mission, those who will misinterpret it, and even those who will oppose his purpose tooth and nail every step of the way. Some of those outside of his immediate circle, some of even the disciples along the way, which we will find out. And then with this scene well set in full effect, we have a final touch added. The widow Anna emerges, enters our scene. The prophetess, like Simeon, she has grown old in the expectation of the same promise that he has. Like Simeon, she conveys and carries the hopes and expectations of all Israel waiting for their consolation. Only the divine genius, dear friends in Christ, of the Holy Trinity would have the verve, would have the moxie to produce this scene and to cast and to direct these memorable players. And yet this morning, this scene remains obscure and can be incomprehensible, ununderstandable to many people, maybe many of us this morning. But as always, God has an answer for us. He has further enlightenment. He goes deeper into the text and helps us to do so. For our enlightenment, God provides narrators and commenters to assist our understanding. St. Paul is one of these. And in our epistle lesson from Galatians this morning, he serves in that supporting role as a commentator on the meaning of this text. So also does the author of the letter to the Hebrews. He explains why Jesus had to be submitted to this ritual of purification at 40 days old. He tells us that it's not because Jesus is sinful as we are. It is because our Redeemer must be like us in every way except for sin in order to truly share 
and to embody our full humanity. The author of Hebrews goes on to say that Jesus has to be made perfect, conformed to the image of God the Father by suffering. Here he shows us how Malachi's prophecy of a mighty Savior who would cleanse the people of their sins is indeed fulfilled. He does this by taking upon himself our fallen humanity and all of its weakness and all of its humility and of all of its vulnerability. Dear friends in Christ, we're witnessing something special in this scene this morning here on the first Sunday after Christmas. We're witnessing much more than a drama crafted by human hands. This is indeed the beating heart of the human story, of the human experience, and also the very heart and soul of the gospel, the good news. The triune God is the author of this divine drama of our salvation, and like all great dramas, we are truly moved. How can we not be? We are affected. We leave the scene changed, transformed, and indeed engaged with our lives and the world around us. Now we partake in body, mind, and spirit, in the salvific drama of all of human history. Our liturgy bears this out. Our divine service transports us to this scene every Sunday where the Christ child enters the temple not to purify himself, but to purify the entire cosmos, all of creation. On this first Sunday of the continuing Christmas season, Therefore, then, let us approach the mystery of our salvation with the humility of St. Mary, the mother of our Lord. Let us also, like Joseph, the guardian of Jesus, remain strong and steadfast in our faith as we close out 2020, no matter what 2021 might throw at us. And today, this morning, in a few moments, as we prepare to receive the all-availing sacrifice of the cross for us, of our Lord's very body and blood in the sacrament, May our hearts and our minds be pierced like Mary's with contrition, with repentance, and also faith and trust in that atonement provided for us. May we, dear friends in Christ, indeed behold the same Savior whom Simeon once held as a little baby. And like Simeon, may our own lives proclaim him as the very light of the world. Finally, may we remember expectant and prayerful Anna in that temple. May we be like her as we go forth this morning. May we respond with lively faith, with prayerful dedication like Anna. And just as she represented all the expectations of Israel waiting for consolation, so may we also live in this perishable transient age and place while we indeed look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come as we confess in the creed every Lord's day. Dear friends in Christ, finally, May we today and every day be presented to God the Father with purified hearts, purified minds, filled with joy, just as Jesus was presented in the temple in the substance of our very flesh. That is the incarnation. Have a blessed and continued Merry Christmas. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.